morning is in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. So this is written some 700 years before Christ. This word from Isaiah, and we'll uh, we'll look at the historical situation that was taking place, and uh, the promise of God that came through that trying time for the children of Israel. They were already steeped in sin over in Isaiah one, and we we're not going to we can't read the first nine chapters of Isaiah today, but in Isaiah 1, the Lord's word through Isaiah to the children of Israel was that they had become like Sodom and like Gomorrah. So they were already steeped in in sin. In fact, it was so bad that God said, since this is the The way things are, and since sin is just abounding in your lives, he said, stop the worship. Just don't don't even think about it. Because God wanted his people in alignment with him. They he didn't he never planned for them to confess one thing and live another way, a different way. But he wants us to make that confession of him and acknowledge who he is and then conduct our lives according to that knowledge of God. And so because of the sin, uh, there were problems that were not just personal to those children of Israel on an individual basis, but there were problems that afflicted the kingdom, so to speak. It was a divided kingdom at that time. You had the southern kingdom, you had two tribes in the, su- in the south, you have ten tribes in the north. So there's already division. But then you add the foreign powers. Uh, Assyria was the threat back then. So what were the people going to do? What was their king What was his plan? What was he going to suggest? How was he going to lead this King Ahaz? Let's read our text and then we'll we'll fill in more on the, the national crisis for Israel at that time. Beginning there in verse 1 of chapter 9 in the book of Isaiah... But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. 
The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every Buddha, the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is like grain To nourish our soul, it is like a sledgehammer to break the heart of stone. It is like fire that purifies the precious metal. So Lord, let your word be received by us and let your word have its effect on our hearts and minds today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so there's a national crisis going on at this same time. Because the king of the southern kingdom, King Ahaz, is being pressured by the northern tribes to unite with them in order to stave off Assyria. So you have this opportunity for alliance. And uh, Ahaz is, uh, he's not a very uh, determinative um, king. He's, uh, let's just say it, he's, he's scared. You can, you can turn back to Isaiah chapter 7. Just, it's one page for me to turn back. But you've got, beginning there in verse 10, you've got a conversation between the Lord and Ahaz. And and the whole question that was in front of Ahaz and the question that is really before us today, each one of us, is who you're going to trust. So the Lord is working with Ahaz. He's the king of the southern kingdom and he's feeling the pressure and he's scared of the Assyrians. And the Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying, 
Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. I mean, that's, a, that's open-ended. What do you want, Ahaz? God's just asking him, what can I give you as a sign to encourage your heart? God wants to move Ahaz toward trust in him. But Ahaz said, what do you think he said? Well, you've probably already ahead of me. Verse 12, he says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. My, my, my. This is, this is the confusion that reigned over Ahaz. I mean, he is so non-committed, uncommitted, he is so indecisive that he can't even answer God's question directed to him as for a sign. I mean, the Lord is basically saying, Ahaz, I know things are, I know you're feeling the pressure. What can I do for you? How can I encourage your heart? And Ahaz is so much in darkness of his understanding and so ignorant of things that he says, I'm not even going to ask. Now, it sounds really pious there when you read it in verse 12. He says, I'm not going to ask and I'm not going to test the Lord. Well, listen, this guy tested the Lord every time he got up in the morning because he wasn't trusting God. He was feeling the pressure from those kingdoms around him to side with them. Then he said, verse 13, listen now, house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men? That you will try the patience of my God as well. So Isaiah just says, you know, you can't answer God's question. Now you're, it's not enough that you're trying the patience of men because as a king, Ahaz was leading people. And he's a weak king. And he's a sinful king. And you know what that means? The people are in disarray. They're, they're confused and they're scared. He says, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? In not answering God's question, ask for a sign. Uh, he was trying the patience of God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So Isaiah, he's prophesying. Lord's going to give you a sign, Ahaz. Behold. A virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good, for before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. The Lord Isaiah, through Isaiah, is prophesying that there is a sign that will be given. And here we have a direct prophecy of the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, that a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. 
You see, the Lord, um, being eternal God, uh, he was uh, dealing with the issues that faced Ahaz there in that moment. And he was also dealing with the issue of man's sin for all time. And he's giving this sign. So Ahaz is, uh, he's in a place where he needs to, he needs to lead and he needs to conform to God's will because Ahaz was king over the tribe of Judah. And we know where Jesus comes from. He comes from the tribe of Judah. And his, his weakness, here it is, his weakness jeopardizes the Messiah. From a human perspective, if the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah, Ahaz's weakness jeopardizes the coming of that Messiah. Ahaz was sinful as well as the people he led. And then the Lord gives that sign, the sign of a child born of a virgin. Now back to chapter 9 there in verse 1, and we'll get into our text here. So at first we see there's, there's, there are issues, there are sin issues that not only affected the people individually, their own personal sin, but then those sins mount up and create a national problem. And the Lord gives this sign and in verse 1 of chapter 9, he says, but, but there will be no more gloom. That's the title of the message, no more gloom. For her who was in anguish. Immediate context, the children of Israel. And a larger context. The people who know their God says there'll be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. It was basically a wasteland. But later on, what's he going to do? He's going to make it glorious. Well, where exactly? Well, by the way of the sea and on the other side of Jordan. Well, where exactly? Right there it is. Galilee of the Gentiles. No one would have predicted that. So the Lord's made his promise. He's going to make this land glorious. He's going to do it. And to do that, he's going to have to remove the gloom. Because these people are in anguish. And they're in anguish because of their own sin. And they're in anguish because of the sin of their king. You know, there's Ahaz, and he's, he's thinking about allying himself with, these, uh, with the northern tribes. And what does that mean? What does it mean when a king wants to make an alliance? Well, at least back in that day, they were saying, we're going we're gonna to worship your gods. If you're going to align yourself with some entity, basically the agreement was you'd worship their gods, especially if they were more powerful than you. 
And then if Assyria does come in and defeat the people, they're going to have to worship the Assyrian gods. This is what's at stake. But the Lord says, I'm going to make this, I'm going to get rid of the gloom and I'm going to make this land glorious. And he's going to do it with a sign. So he tells them this is going to happen in Galilee of the Gentiles. No one would have predicted that. But God knows what he's doing. God knew that he was going to redeem the people and he knew how he was going to do it. The people, he says, who walk in darkness so were, were there. Uh, what was that gloom all about? Well, it was, that was a gloom that affected their daily lives. That gloom is a hopelessness. It's, uh, it's a life filled with disappointment and regret and, and worst of all, life filled with sin and the burden of sin and the trouble it causes. And these people were, they were used to that. This was normal for them. They walk in darkness. He says, there he says it. The people who walk in darkness. It reminds me of that wonderful angelic announcement when, uh, when they, they said this will be a sign for what? For, for all the people. For all the people. And he was referring, the angel that is, referring to Jesus. And he says these people walk, who walk in darkness will see a great light. Oh, by the way, these verbs here in the first verse, all of them are what they call prophetic perfect verbs. That means they already have completed action assigned to them. So when God says something, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. Now this is 700 years before Christ. The prophecy is coming forth about a child who will be born. It's as good as done. And he says, these people who walk in darkness will see a great light. wonder what that is, what that light's about. But they're going to see light. So they're in darkness, and darkness is suggesting ignorance. It suggests sin, uh, lack of understanding, spiritual, spiritual ignorance. He says, they're going to see a great light. And the light suggests life. Uh, John makes reference to that in... First chapter of his gospel, John 1, verse 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He says, these people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So in spite of the anguish that they were having to endure and the confusion that they were having to endure, God had sent a great light. And God would illumine the people who were in darkness. He says, the light will shine on them. He said, you, you shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. So he's, in verses 2 and following, he's talking about the effect of what will take place. What, what benefit is it that he will make this land glorious? Well, this is it. The people are going to be illuminated. They're going to have spiritual understanding. The people are are going to uh, have true life. They're going to receive true life. The light will shine on them. 
He says, you shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. And they were walking in gloom, they were downtrodden, they were downcast, they were, they were in pain. And the Lord says, because of what he does, there's going to be a change, a great transformation, illumination of mind and heart and spiritual understanding, life, true life. And he says, they're going to multiply the nation, increase the gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So they're not going to be the spoil. They're going to rejoice in in the blessing that God brings. This is 700 years before the coming of Jesus. And we're reading about God's intent to make something glorious that was once gloomy. From being in a state of gloom to being glorious. He talks about this light and life. And he says, you shall, I like that word, multiply. Multiply the nation. Increase. Uh, blessings are going to abound. Gladness of heart. He says, they'll be glad in your presence. As with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden. And the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. So God is going to go to war for them. And how is this going to take place? Well, God is going to have to be involved in this. He is going to war for them. You shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. So this speaks of sin first and foremost. And it also speaks of unabated sin that results in oppression. We hear a lot about oppression these days. This person or this group over here feels oppressed and over here there's more oppression. Well, the only reason you have oppression is because you got sin. So a lot of people put the cart before the horse. It's all about sin because that's where it originates, and that's where oppression develops from. So the Lord's going to have to go to war here because he's breaking the yoke of their burden. This is, uh, this is action. And, and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, right there, it, as at the battle of Midian. And then verse 5, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. So the Lord not only goes to war, but he wins the war. He takes care of the adversary. That's what he does. So that's verse 5. That's a picture not only of, of uh, the burning or destruction of war implements, but that is the destruction of of even the clothing of the enemy. The cloak rolled in blood will be for what? For burning, for fuel, for the fire. And then the question is, okay, he's going to affect this great change, darkness to light, from 
gloom to glory. How? Well, I want you to read six and verse six. And when you read it, I want you to see a baby's face. That's how. That's how. Oh, is the Lord going to affect this because he can be more um, arrogant, more conniving than earthly kings? Is he just going to see their, their abuse and raise it? No, that's not our Lord. We have a good God. What's he going to do? He's going to send a baby. I don't see a five-star general in the mix. I just see a baby right here. The Lord will affect this change from gloom to glory through the birth, the virgin birth of a baby. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders. Well, that's interesting. So this child will carry the government, the government of God, the kingdom of God. And then he gives us, uh, he's really going to talk about his qualities, the qualities of this child through the names. Names meant a great deal back in the Old Testament days. Well, we have a lot of interest here in his name. His name will be called what? Wonderful Counselor. Well, we've, we've uh, read the teachings of Jesus and we know no one taught like Jesus. No one spoke wisdom like Jesus spoke wisdom. Jesus pointed men and women and boys and girls to God. His, his name is Wonderful Counselor. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, ask the Wonderful Counselor. His name is Mighty God. I like that. I like to put these together because not only is he able to give wisdom and bring light to a situation, but he affects change. He can change. He changes the hearts of people. He can work on our behalf. He's a mighty God. Don't ever limit the power of God and don't ever limit what he can do. Because he never ceases to be mighty God. He is mighty God, eternal father. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. We believe this verse six is a, a direct prophecy to the birth of Jesus. And Jesus exemplified the father. He's eternal father, meaning he's not going away anytime soon. But he's for all time and beyond time, our father. And then prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. Now we read this, a lot of times you hear a lot about peace this time of year. You know, praying for peace on earth. Well, hey, listen. Peace doesn't start 
horizontally. Peace starts vertically between one's heart and God. And Jesus came to bring the reconciliation, to bring those of us who were enemies of God as, it, as we were steeped in sin and running away from God, our, the directions of our lives going away from God. But Jesus has come to bring the peace. And when we acknowledge him and trust him with our heart and mind, we lay our life before him. We have the peace with God. In fact, I like the way Paul put it. He said, we have peace, we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. So he's the, he is the prince of peace. But there must be peace between man and God. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. No end. On the throne of David, that's it. You know, even, even Ahaz's sin would, would not interrupt or would not thwart God's intent to bring a savior who would sit on the throne of David to establish it and to uphold it and how does he do this with justice and righteousness I don't have to tell you that there are folks who come to power and their means of coming to power has nothing to do with justice or righteousness. But God's power is exerted with justice and righteousness. I like that. Justice and righteousness. We see so little of that in our world. From then on and forevermore. What's he say? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Not, listen, not man's zeal, but the Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies, his zeal will accomplish just what we've read here in Isaiah chapter 9. How, how in the world, how can man go from a place of gloom to a place of glory? Well, two verses. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How, how would we walk in the blessing of God? In other words, how would we have spiritual understanding? For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I mean, how could a nation multiply? How could one have gladness of heart and life while living in a world filled with misery? Well, a couple verses. 
For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Who's going to break the burden of sin? Who's going to break the yoke of of our burden? Who's going to break the oppression? Well, there it is. A child, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And he has accomplished it. Jesus did come. He was born of the Virgin Mary. We'll get to those stories this coming Lord's Day and then on Christmas Eve. We'll be in Matthew. We'll be in Luke's Gospel to take a look at that fulfillment of this grand prophecy. But the, the question for you and the question for me today is, are we going to trust the nations? And their, and their so-called goodwill? Are we going to trust powers that be, man? Or are we going to trust the king of glory? Are we going to trust God? Are we going to align ourselves with the world and the culture that is in our world? Or are we going to align ourselves with God Almighty? And son, Jesus, are we going to continue to walk in gloom because we don't know who to trust? Or are we going to walk in the light of the Lord because we've made that decision about who we're trusting? We're trusting God and we'll not be moved. That's a question today. I hope we give a better answer than he has. There it is before you. I was saying before message today of why we preach. There's really two reasons. We preach for the edification of the saints, the believers. And in this in this congregation today, most are most are believers. But there are some who've never trusted Jesus. And so the second reason that we preach is for immediate conversion. That means that one could walk in the door, an unbeliever, and walk out the door, a believer in Christ. So anytime we open the word and we offer salvation through Jesus, our prayer is that those who don't know Christ would confess Jesus as Lord and receive him today and not not act like we've got more time because no one knows their days. We know our days are numbered. We just don't know the number of those days. So if you've never trusted Jesus, trust Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He's the eternal father. He's the prince of peace. And though we live in a world of darkness, he shines the light of life in our lives. And we walk by that light. And we have, we have this spiritual illumination that Jesus Christ, yes, 
Jesus is the Messiah. He is the, the very son of God. He's the God man. He lived life here on the planet without sin. He offered himself to death on the cross. He laid his life down. No man took his life from him. But this was in the plan. This was the battle. The war that he fought. And he won that war for us on the cross by shedding his own blood for sinners. That we could trust him. That we would trust him and believe And that we would receive the forgiveness of sin through the work of Jesus on the cross. He died on the cross. They took him down from the cross and buried him in a borrowed tomb. He was there three days and he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He actually um, lives even today. He appeared to his disciples. He showed them the scars. He showed them the hole in his side where the spear had been thrust into his body. And some of those very men went from unbelief to belief that day. And then Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. And there he is at the Father's right hand in glory. And one day he will return. And he will return, he will gather his elect from the four winds, and we will forever be with the Lord. And that's the day that we're looking forward to. But for now, listen, the only answer for, for, your, for your pain, say, well, I'm not in pain. Well, you must be young. <laughs> There's a different kind of pain for the young. But the only answer for human pain and need is Jesus. That's it. It's the only answer. So I want to encourage you, think on these things. And if you've never trusted Christ, trust Jesus today. Father in heaven, we thank you for this ancient text, this old prophecy. Uh, we, We are... Strengthened by it, when we see that the plan was unfolding and then in real time, Isaiah brings the word of the Lord and says there's going to be a child born. And the child is going to, he's going to bring glory from the gloom. And this child will will grow and he will carry the kingdom of God and the government of God. And he'll, he'll teach and he'll perform miracles. He will be a father to those who love him. And he will bring peace, true peace, to those who trust him. So Lord, I do pray for uh, just the reality of Christ to abound in our hearts and minds today. Let us continue to walk in the light and bring glory to you. Walk in the joy that you have for us, even in a confused, chaotic world of darkness in which we live. Lord, you're the light. We 
We praise you, we appreciate you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.